Hey, welcome to the podcast of The Kelly Cotrera Show. It's Friday, February the 12th. The nominees are in, 17 of them, to get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year. And I think they may have jumped the shark with one of them, hurting their credibility. We'll talk with Alan Cross about that. But first, big announcement was made yesterday by our education minister. You heard it here on 640 Toronto. Stephen Lecce and making the announcement. Have a little listen. Ontario is postponing March break until the week of April 12th. This decision was made on that advice from public health officials, including the province's chief medical officer of health and many local medical officers of health as well. We recognize that congregation is a key driver of the spread of COVID-19, something we realized over the winter break. And we will not take that risk again with your child, with our staff, with Ontario families. I, so it's been cancelled. But they're calling it postponed. Am I the only person willing to say March break is canceled? If it's not happening in March, it's canceled. You've now moved it to April. So March break is not happening. That's a misnomer, right? It's April break or it's spring break. It's going to be moved to the 12th of April. Uh, He continues on saying this. I recognize that this is one more change in a year that has been challenging for so many students and our education staff who continue to work so hard. It is one made on the best advice of public health officials to keep them safe and to keep our schools open in this province. The decision to postpone March break has not been an easy one, but necessary to keep Ontario families safe from this variant. Nothing matters more than the health and safety of Ontario students, and we will continue to act in their best interest and follow the best expert advice to protect our kids and our province. Okay, this is all about protecting the kids, according to our education minister, but uh, the union, not happy with it, says the teachers need a break. They are suffering burnout. Andrea Horvath is leader of the opposition, and she joins the show to uh, talk about where she stands on this. Welcome to the show, Andrea. Good to have you on. Thanks. It's very much my pleasure. So you've been really vocal about the March break being cancelled, being the wrong move this year. Are are you still going to... Uh, sit in that in that position yeah i mean i I really think that the uh, province isn't looking at the uh you know all of the issues here uh i I think it's pretty clear that parents and kids and teachers and uh, and yes education workers are are pretty burnt out and they've been tearing their hair out uh they've been plugged into screens parents have been doing that superhuman job of you know juggling everything that they possibly can trying to get their kids engaged in the online learning and, and stay connected to that, working from home, taking care of, in, in many cases, little ones as well, and other uh, ho- household duties, if you will. I mean, it's, it's, been, pretty, it's been pretty tough. And so, um, you know, last March break, let's not forget, uh, it wasn't people that, you know, that decided they were all going to go off on vacation and, and create trouble. It was Doug Ford that told them to do so. Uh, and I think it's pretty clear that if we're, we're you know, um, straight with folks about the expectations around March break, that it wouldn't be uh, it, a go away and uh, have fun March break, but rather, a, you know, a, a chance to unwind, uh, you know, stay at home, stay safe, follow the rules, uh, but but unplug for, for a week and, uh, and, and get back to try to uh, have a little bit of normal family life. I think that would be very, very helpful. And, and I, you know, I have to say, from what I'm hearing, there hasn't been a lot of consultation uh, with local public health or local school boards, for that matter. And so I, I, I find it quite troubling that there are so many, um, you know, questions as to, you know, how this decision was made. Uh, but certainly I do believe that uh, 
that parents have been and kids on a roller coaster ride with this government, uh, and uh, and this is just adding to that. But Andrea, is it fair to bring up last year's March break? I mean, really, Doug Ford told people to go away because they had already made those plans and we didn't know where this virus was going. So to bring up last year, I mean, we've learned so much from last year that I don't know if that is a fair comparison. Well, I mean, (laughs) Mr. Lecce himself uh, raised the last year's March break. And the reason it was the debacle it was is because, uh, you know, Doug Ford wasn't paying attention. And he, you know, spoke out of turn. He wasn't, you know, he, he spoke out of his hat and uh, and created quite a problem. And, and you know, I, there were people that did cancel their, their vacation. I can remember, you know, watching those clips on TV where, where people were saying, yeah, I was going to go. But, you know, because of this, I've, I've canceled at the last minute. Um, so, again, we had a lot of mixed messages from day one. Uh, but certainly to suggest that people today are in the same headspace as they were the last March break in terms of what their responsibilities, obligations are to keep themselves, their kids, their families, their communities safe. Uh, that's a bit of a stretch. I mean, I, I, I think people are pretty well aware uh, what needs to be done. And, you know, the variants already are starting to spread through the schools. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty worrisome. And we're, but we, we could have actually helped make it safer for kids to stay in school. Absolutely. I mean, we could have reduced class sizes to 15. Uh, we could have had, and we can still have, a, a massive uh, um, asymptomatic uh, testing program in place. We could have paid sick days for, for people who need to stay home when they're, when they're feeling sick or, or family care days so parents can afford to keep kids at home when they're sick. I mean, there's a lot that can be done, um, but the government's not prepared to spend the money on these, on these kinds of measures. Okay, so I'm just going to play a clip from Dr. Brown yesterday. The province released their modeling on where this could go uh, if these variants get out of control like they did in the, in the UK. Have a listen, Andrea. If the B117 variant behaves as it did in the United Kingdom, cases will start to grow here again in late February or early March. That is, unless we can limit the spread through public health measures. The UK example is important. In a matter of months, the B117 variant went from detection to the dominant strain. And as it became the dominant strain, cases more than tripled in a month. So arguably, a lot of people didn't go away on the, the Christmas holidays. Like, like they didn't fly places. They congregated and then we saw a spike. Um, I, I think Stephen Lecce is concerned about that happening during the March break. I just want to know if, uh, you know, the modeling indicating that we could be headed for a third wave concerns you at all uh, with regard to, you know, um, March break, which is not well, going to be, but. Yeah, which is not going to be. Uh, well, I mean, I, I, I hear where you're coming from, but I also think it's important to acknowledge that, uh, uh, the kids um, do pick up the virus at school as well, and and we and you know the government claimed that there was not no you know worry or, or concern about that back in September, but in fact there was, and we saw uh, schools continue to climb in terms of numbers of kids uh, that were infected with the the virus, and 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 schools got shut down as a result. But the problem is we're we're reopening schools without any other significant changes, and so how can it be different? Uh, even in the schools, I mean, it just it doesn't make sense. So to you me don't want would... schools to be reopened. You'd like a pause. Well, in, in fact, what I called for yesterday was a, a maintaining of the lockdown around the province until we we get through these next couple of weeks. I mean, the bottom line is that this variant, I was I was it scared. 
scared me. I mean, that 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 information that was provided with the modeling yesterday was frightening. And, and I think, you know, I think we have to be really, really honest with ourselves. Um, you know, we've been on a yo-yo with this board government. Open, close, open, close, lockdown, you know, uh, zones and all these things. But at the end of the day, if these variants are much more efficient, if they if they spread much more quickly, uh, and and we have them, and you know, and the projections are, if we don't do anything uh, to to stop them, it's going to be quite serious. I, I don't understand why we're why we're opening up again. Uh, the government should be doing things to support people, support businesses, uh, you know, to. Uh, to keep people safe and to to prevent the the variants from catching hold and spreading like wildfire in our communities. So I'm guessing, uh, based on that, that you're not in agreement. Mayors in York Region are wanting to be moved into the red zone when their lockdown ends on the 22nd. I mean, I think it's dangerous. Uh, frankly, I, I think it's dangerous, and I think uh, I think people need to be really thoughtful about what the priority is here. And I think the priority is always human health. Uh, and preventing our healthcare system from getting overwhelmed, and, and certainly I know that the vaccines are, you know, kind of on the way, and uh, and that's a positive thing. But from the information we were provided yesterday, it's not going to be fast enough, and it's not uh, it's not going to be, uh, you know, the savior from these uh, variants. And so, I, I mean, I, I get it that there's been a lot of economic de- devastation. Didn't have to be as bad as it has been because Doug Ford decided not to help small businesses directly the way he should have from day one. Uh, and not help individuals the way he should have from day one. Ah, it's just like the old days. I feel like saying 102.1 The Edge. Welcome to the program, my friend Alan Cross from the Ongoing History of New Music and a journal of musicalthings.com. Alan, I told you I'd never forget the dot com at the end of uh, your blog you. again. And I have remembered that. Man, how many times do we play Foo Fighters? <laughs> Uh, every 10 minutes, I mm, think. I think you're... <laughs> Foo Fighters are, are, are this band that was grown in a Petri dish to be the perfect alt-rock band of all time. And so it's no wonder that they're up for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I mean, they, they sell out stadiums. They sell millions of records. Dave Grohl's face is absolutely everywhere. Yeah. Uh, the only, you know, I, there are very few people who don't like the Foo Fighters. The, if they do dislike them, it's because of their ubiquity because they're absolutely everywhere but as for a straight ahead contemporary rock band it's really hard to beat them yeah and they're being uh, they're being uh they're on the list of nominees for uh the this year's inductions into the rock and roll hall of fame and before i get to that i just kind of uh, i was thinking about something i read the other day and i had no idea over even you know over all the years that we played them on on the edge i still say them uh, this actually started out as a side project for Dave Grohl. I was reading this story the other day about how he put Foo Fighters together. And the reason why he came up with that name is sort of because he admired Stuart Copeland, who did the same thing. He said uh, he was handed a tape of an artist named Clark Kent. And he Spelled said, I listened K's. to it. Yeah, and I listened to it. And he said, well, it sounded like the, a lot like the police. And it it actually was Stuart Copeland. Uh, the drummer with the police. And so he'd made this because he didn't know how to, it would fly as his solo project. And so Dave Grohl leaving Nirvana when Nirvana was, uh, no longer together. Uh, he, he decided that he'd do something similar. So it started out as a solo project. Uh, yeah. So Dave had always been writing a lot of songs, but as the drummer with Nirvana, he didn't get a chance to record any of them with the exception of one song called Marigold, which was buried on, uh, a CD single. 
when Kurt died, he had all this material. He had actually done a number of things. There was Harlington Talks AD. There was another thing called Pocket Watch. Uh, and then he had these these records that he these songs that he recorded entirely by himself with the help of a friend uh, in, in the production room, uh, which became the first Foo Fighters album. And when that started to do well, oh, better put together a band, which he did. And there have been a few lineup changes over the years, but really nothing in the last twenty. So this is a solid. Well, they've added a keyboard player recently. This is a solid, solid unit. Mm -hmm. uh, that is firing on all cylinders. They are all for one, one for all. I've been to their headquarters in Van Nuys, California. These guys know that they hit the lottery. Dave knows he hit the lottery twice. I talked to drummer Taylor uh, Hawkins once. I said, you guys, whenever I see you play, you, you look like you're having the times of your life. And he goes, dude, we get paid millions of dollars to fly around the world playing rock and roll. Of course we're happy. Yeah, what could be better? And I have met Dave Grohl. Uh, he's such a nice guy. He's infectiously positive. Yeah. I mean, so I, I yeah. guess there's a bias here. I, I, we would like him I arm wrestled the Rock Roll Hall of Fame. You've arm wrestled uh, with him? Yeah, I challenged him to an arm wrestle. And How'd he let that go? <laughs> he let you. Of course he did, because he's Dave Grohl. Uh, yeah. So he's on the list, uh, and, along with his bandmates. There's 17 nominees for the induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Can we... Let me just run through them, and, and, and we'll talk about the ones that stand out as, that's a weird choice to you, and then we'll talk mm -hmm. about the ones that you think should go in. So Jay-Z, Carol King, Tina Turner. Wait, let's, I mean, wait, wait yes. let's, let's do it alphabetical order and take them one by one. How's that? All right. Okay, um, so I'm going I'm to start with Mary J. Blige. Yes. Okay, fine. I thought this was the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but okay, whatever. I mean, she is a big star, sold a lot of records, great singer. Um, obviously has some kind of advocate on the induction committee. So whether she's going to get in, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, number Kate Bush. Absolutely should be a lock. Inspired untold numbers of not only female singer-songwriters, but uh, the avant-garde in, in, in the world of music. Uh, Kate Bush is a British national treasure. Uh, she should definitely be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, wait, I, well, hold on a second here, Alan. If we could just be honest oh. about Kate Bush. And I love Kate no. Bush. I mean, I was no. one of those kids that loved Kate Bush. But Withering Heights, that is not a rock and roll song. No, no, it's not. It, it's it's not. But listen, hey, look who else we're talking about on this list. She was part of the whole alt-rock thing, you know, with especially with the Hounds of Love album in 1985 with Running Up That Hill and Cloud Busting and all those songs. So, you It's know, New Wave. It's, it's not New Wave. It's Kate Bush. There's she cannot be categorized, and as a result, she is an alternative to always has been an alternative to everything. So that's why. Okay, so Kate Bush is given a check. Lock, yes. Okay. Uh, Devo, uh, probably. I mean, I really like Devo. They were you know this experimental pop new wave weirdo band with the flower pots on their head. The male Kate Bush. Uh, in some ways, yeah. I mean, they were really quirky. I remember uh, buying their version of the Stone Satisfaction and putting it on when mm. I got home. I went to Sam the Record Band, bought the 45 on Warner Life changing. It on, and it was like, well, no. It was like, what's this? I loved Isn't it. Like, oh, I mean, I grew to love it. Uh, and then again, you know, Diva was, is, is a really... Uh, acquired taste. You have to understand what they're doing and, and, and where their headspace is at. And a lot of bands have. I mean, 
Uh, Nirvana is a big uh, was a big Devo fan. Soundgarden recovered some Devo songs. Hmm. So um, okay, yes, we'll we'll go with them. Foo Fighters we already talked about. That is a lock if there ever was one. Next is the Go Go's, and uh, one thing that helped the Go Go's over the last year is this documentary. And I, I think people have realized that the Go Go's were the first all female band to top the charts, who also wrote and performed their own songs. And I think that in itself, I mean, this is 1980, 81, 82. That in itself is worthy of recognizing because they broke down so many barriers. And they were a really good alt-rock, mm. pop-rock band. No, 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 no. Go back and listen to We Got the Beat or Vacation My or lips any are of those sealed. It's, it's, yes, which was covered by Fun Boy 3, a very um, alternative band around the UK. So I, I'm in favor of the Go-Go's because they were groundbreakers. That's what that's all said. Uh, Iron Maiden is next. Yeah, duh. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I I, I agree with that. Run to the Hills. Who doesn't remember oh, that? Classic. There is a, there, this is a band that's been around since the very early '80s. They are a worldwide phenomenon. They are recognized as one of the great heavy metal bands of all time. End of story. They have End a mascot. Of story. They right. have a well, mascot. And they got Eddie. Yeah. yeah. And and it's so cool that their lead singer, Bruce Dickinson, is a certified airline pilot. He is rated to fly 747s. When uh, Iron Maiden toured the world, uh, he captained a chartered 747 and flew his band from place to place with all their gear in the hold. With That's Eddie cool. on it, I might add. With like Eddie, Eddie on the tail. Eddie was literally, yeah, on the plane, yeah. painted on the plane. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, totally into it. So, and he's so uh, incredibly smart. That's what I love about these bands. You know, uh, you can you can uh, mock and judge some of the heavy metal followers all you want, but at the end of the day, I think it's not fair because th these guys, a lot of them, are, are you know reading the classics. They're they have a lot of interest in in various things. Yes, and and uh, you know Bruce Dickinson also has his own aviation company based out of Cardiff, Wales, where he services aircraft. Uh, he's he's Love the guy. Fantastic. Next up, we have uh, Jay-Z. Uh, no question, hip-hop pioneer. Um, he's probably a lock for, for getting in. Mm -hmm. Next, uh, Shaka Khan. Now, they are going to nominate her until she finally gets in. She has been up for induction seven times, four times with Rufus, and three times as a solo artist. She obviously has her advocates on the nomination committee. I don't know who these people are, but every year she seems to end up on on the list so uh, i have no comment other than oh she was good enough for prince she's good enough for me just throw uh, her I in for gosh sake i guess uh carol king uh who i think is already in for songwriting now she's going to be in for a uh, solo artist it surprises me that she's not in at the moment because you know tapestry that album from 1971 uh 50 years old this year fantastic record one of the best-selling albums of that era and yeah, it still but holds is it up rock today. and roll it's not rock and roll. It's well, a beautiful album, and it's yeah. it's worthy of note. But like when this Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was started, why was it started to celebrate rock and roll? And I think we've gotten largely off course. And I know that's the the debate that goes on yearly, and it's it's an exhausted debate in some cases. But yeah. I agree. Carol King was highly influential, but she's a singer songwriter. Like, let's put together a singer songwriter Hall of Fame if if it's not right. already in existence. So you're, you're, you're going to have you're going to have problems with the next one. Uh, Fela Kuti from uh, Nigeria, basically the inventor of Afrobeat, uh, hugely important in terms of uh, world music, of, of, of music from Africa. Um, if you were 
into a certain type of um, of sound, you are always you're always led back to Fela Kuti. I actually don't uh, have a huge problem with that inductee. Uh, I know I'm yeah. I am like sounding very contradictory, Alan, today, but I, yes. I I don't I don't have a problem with that because that's going back to the roots of rock and roll. Yes, I. You know what? That's a good point. Uh, without the music of Africa, there is no rock and roll. Period. We can go back to 1619 and start tracing things forward. Yes, you're right. Uh, then we have LL Cool J, sixth nomination. He still hasn't gotten in. I, I'm, again, you know, you can make the debate. You know, is he a hip hop artist? Well, yes, of course he is. Is he a big hip hop artist? Absolutely. Is he an influential hip hop artist? Yes. Is he rock and roll? No. But no. Uh, you know, again, the mandate of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has expanded beyond rock and roll. And you know, depending on what their parameters are, any given year, he may be, he may be, you know, worthy of induction. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying. Again, we we talk about the aesthetics of what the mission of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is. So, if it's fuzzy, then he gets in. I don't but know enough about LL Cool J's catalog to actually even comment on if he should get yeah, in or not. Okay. Uh, New York Dolls. I think that's way overdue. They were a proto-punk band out of New York. They were the first to wear lipstick and uh, mm-hmm. spandex and big hair on stage. Uh, they were very important to uh, the punks who would come along a few years after them. Uh, Malcolm McLaren was so besotted with them that he traveled to New York, became their manager, and when they broke up, he formed the Sex Pistols, based a lot on what the New York Dolls were all about. They influenced a, a, a bunch of British punks as well, including a very young Morrissey who would write letters to the enemy and Melody Maker rhapsodizing about how great mm-hmm. the New York Dolls were. And there's only one of them left, David Johansson. All other members have died. Sylvain Sylvain, who uh, spent some time in Hamilton um, over his career, he uh, he died last year. And uh, maybe this is, you know, while David Johansson is still with us, maybe this is the time to put them in. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. I think not adding the New York Dolls into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is, yeah. is like saying, uh, we don't want that Warhol at the MoMA. Yeah, exactly. They, they were terribly underappreciated when they, you know, on a mainstream level when they were around. But now, seeing how they affected history, absolutely. They, they, they got to be in there. They're, they're foundation layers, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, Rage Against the Machine. Don't even have to talk about it. Next. Uh, <laughs> Todd Rundgren. Uh, hmm. Isn't he, um, whose dad is he? Or was he, apparently? I, Liv mm. Tyler thought that Todd Rundgren oh, was her point, dad yeah. for years. Yeah, yeah. He, you know, as a solo performer, he is uh, certainly experimentally interesting. Uh, as a producer, he is rather important. He produced uh, Pursuit of Happiness, uh, in, you know, an XTC amongst a, a bunch of other people. He was also very big in technology, continues to be di- into technology and a leader in, in that sort of respect. In the early days of the Internet, he was doing things online that nobody was doing. Uh, very well respected. Uh, so, okay, sure. Yeah, he's uh, not going to. You don't think so? <laughs> uh, you know what? I don't... No, I don't think so. Look, uh, yeah. okay, if Tina Turner okay, is do, not in wait, yet. Wait, 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 wait. You, yes. you think Todd, Todd Rungan deserves to be in or he's not going to get in? Uh, both. Two different things. I, well, okay. I, I don't right. think he's really, I don't think he deserves to get in, and I don't think he's going to get in. Okay, fine. Uh, Tina Turner, she's already in there with her work with Ike. This is a solo nomination. Uh, it's Tina Turner. Yes, it's yes, Tina Turner, and yes, so... she's so rock and roll. Just look at her hair. Look at her thighs. Okay. I know that sounds weird. I get it. I just heard uh, it. Yeah. It sounds weird. I'll take that. Uh, okay. But she is just, she is rock and roll personified. Well, I was listening to some Mike and Tina stuff uh, from the '60s recently, and uh, yeah, you're 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 right. You're, you're okay. 
I, I, I stand down completely. Why were However, you going to say that you didn't no, think she'd get no, him no. this year? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm okay with it. Don't worry. All right. Uh, and then finally, <laughs> and this is perplexing, this gives you an example of, of how there must be all kinds of advocates and champions and arm twisting and, and political machinations within the, the nomination committee. Uh, Dion Warwick. No. Uh, that is know, killing my, me. Yeah. So my filter is any artist my 84-year-old mom likes does not belong in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. My mom can sing Do You Know the Way to San Jose. And that's wrong. Uh, but, <laughs> D, but you know, again, Dionne Warwick is related to Whitney Houston. We saw Whitney Houston get in last year. There is obviously something that's going on weird. that's trying to, yeah, that's trying to push, you know, members of that family into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as a way of boosting their legacy. Um, you know, I, I don't have a problem with Dionne Warwick's talent. I'm not saying she's not good. She was. She was a fantastic singer. Uh, releases some very interesting tweets these days. If you don't know what I mean, you should look them up. She um, also is involved with the Psychic Network, isn't she? Oh, yeah. Is that I mean, done? Uh, she was involved. Whatever happened to them? I should know. Anyway, I, I, I'm i looking at her on, on, on this and I'm going, so you picked Dionne Warwick over Judas Priest? You picked Dionne Warwick over Kraftwerk? No, it's all kinds and of wrong. It's it's all kinds of, of, of wrong. Now, there were 900 people-ish on the nomination committee. And you can just, like I say, it's, it's so political and arm-twisting because everybody wants something out of this. Because if you get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, that's like saying you want an Olympic medal, right? You can use it to further somebody's legacy and sales and exploitation of their music so unless you enter people into the rock and roll hall of fame that don't belong there and then you're whittling away the credibility of the title uh, well, of getting see, into now, the rock and roll hall point. of fame now let's just sort of back up we had we talked about it earlier the this this petition for to get the guess who in and uh obviously it did not work it did not sway the rock and roll hall of fame committee uh despite the number of signatures on on the petition right. uh so the guess who is not Welcome, but Dion Warwick is, huh? It's yeah, it is. It, it seems ridiculous, and that leads us to our question. I'm going to open up the phone lines and ask you: Has the role, the, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, has it lost its credibility? In your opinion, <laughs> when you see Dion Warwick on the list of nominees, <laughs> do you even have to ask? See, I have all kinds of problems with the Rock and Hall of Fame. As a museum, it's fantastic. If you've ever been there, it's really cool to see these actual artifacts. And to I hear the building's great. The dis- oh, it I, is. I kid it's, you it's, not. It's it great. Re- really, really cool. But it's been so watered down. I mean, last year, so, you know, I was looking at, at the nomination list and I was thinking, you know, are they running out of people to nominate? Well, apparently so. Yeah. Whitney Houston's there. Well, listen, but, like, what, I have to ask you, you know, you're walking through looking at paraphernalia from the uh, artists. What the heck is Dionne Warwick going to put in there? It's going to be interesting. I mean, no offense, her, but her what? Hairspray? You know, she, she had I don't know. News, like, so I, I don't know. Rock and I roll. Know. I need a pair of leather pants that were never washed. I need, like, uh, <laughs> Tina Turner's sparkly, you know, that silver dress that she used to yeah. shake it in. Yeah, that's with, what with I want in the Rock and yeah, Roll I, Hall of Fame. I want to come out going, I'm a, a wimp. Look at these people. So, so they were point. living what? on the edge. What is a Dion Warwick display? What does it look like? <laughs> it looks. Let me guess. It's something that could be crocheted. Uh, okay. Well, okay. your your eighty four year old mother 
can sing the lyrics. Do, do you know the yeah. way to San Jose? Yeah. I'm guessing that the display could be crocheted. No offense. She, she will never be forgiven. She will never be forgiven in my books for that's what friends are for with the duet she did with Stevie Wonder, which is one of the most sappy, horrible, awful, uh, legacy-destroying songs of all time. Stevie Wonder, you're better than that. On that, I'm going to say thank you, Alan Cross, for joining us today. I always appreciate the time, and it's been nice uh, going no through opinions. the list with you. <laughs> Neither do I, so that makes two of us. <laughs> That's not rock and roll. That should not be on the nomination list for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I guess that is a bit rude. But that song is one of the hits of Dionne Warwick, nominated into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year. Tina Turner has not been nominated until this year for her solo work. And you're telling me Dionne Warwick, that's a ball drop. That's a credibility problem. I don't think uh, they are credible anymore. You know, we, we did talk about this with Alan Cross. He was just saying, John, that one of the reasons why the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame people want to get in is because it's like this. It's almost like the uh, uh, winning a gold medal at the Olympics. Like you're set. Well, if you let people like Dionne Warwick in, no offense, she's got her merit as a singer um, and, you know, for a different genre. But it's not rock and roll. You lose your credibility. Thoughts here. Well, the reason why I think someone, whether it's Whitney Houston or Dionne Warwick, Dionne Warwick, her aunt gets yeah. got in or is at the starting line or whatever, is because when it comes to true artistry, yeah, it's something that you feel when we look at them and we feel them in our stomach, our solar plexus, and our heart twinkles. Yeah. There's something different about them. So it but that's an, be- no, I agree with you. That's an artist. But not all art can be judged the same way, right? I mean, rock and roll isn't necessarily... You, you can't look at it like it, it might not make you like have that feeling of, oh, that's lovely. My heart's going to burst. Rock and roll might make you seethe. It might make you it's edgy. It's 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 a different thing. Well, everything is interconnected. And a true artist, we know you know that um, like there's, a, there's influences from like from Dionne Warwick, Whitney Houston. You can slow some of the music down or speed it up a bit and talk and Anyway, uh, the guy that came up with him, Alan Cross. That's his. Yeah. He, he probably is what I'm talking about. And um, but he doesn't think Dionne Warwick should get in either. Yeah, he's the same guy that disagreed with you that um, that um, Mar- Martin Gaye, Marvin Gaye song from the '70s that uh, a little bit of love or whatever. With that, mm. he doesn't. He doesn't think it was bitten by that um, Canadian guy's son. Alan uh, Thicke. Yeah. Right. He thought that 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 Alan Thicke should have won the lawsuit. Um, and that there was no similarity when they, in fact, bit, stole, took a big chunk out of... Yeah, I don't want to talk about Alan Cross's credibility, because I honestly think, John, we're barking up the wrong tree, because I think Alan is one of the most uh, well, you know, read and most knowledgeable people in in North America on on the subject of rock. But he slipped on that one. So he can, not everyone, you know, sometimes people slip, you don't see it all the time. Michael Jackson, Michael, what's it, Jordan, Michael, Mike Tyson, you'll see them when they lose. So uh, do you think the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you still think it's it's credible if they let someone like Dion Warwick in? Well, you know what? When you're one of the best and you, like Bob Marley, if he's in there, he should be in there. There's lots of people hmm. that, that, that. We flicker. There's an exceptional yeah. I think you still- can argue that, you know, making, if you take that argument, you can say that, you know, any designer who designs something like cars, why are there no cars? They're beautifully designed 
uh, pieces of machinery. Why are they not in the Louvre? Because their art came from the same place. It was inspired by creativity. But it's not the same thing. Stick around. Well, that's it for today's podcast. Don't forget, Monday's a holiday, so we'll be back with you Tuesday. Cheers.